Good morning, everyone. It's a joy to see you all. Good morning, everyone online, too. Um, I'm excited to be uh, gathered online and physically as well, and we get to have some fun diving back into the book of Habakkuk, just for one Sunday. Uh, when I ended the Habakkuk series, I was very sad. <laughs> and I said, I already missed studying this book. And so I said, you know what? I want to look at it one more time, and I want to look at the book of Habakkuk through the lens of what we celebrated last Sunday. I want to look at it through the lens of resurrection, because one of the most beautiful things I think we we need to realize as a people of God is that God answers us, amen? God gives answers, and even though we as humans, as Lee was mentioning, we, we complain about very mundane things, don't we? There are many things that are worth our complaints in this world, but the majority of our lives are spent in mundane complaints. And yet here's the beautiful thing about our God, is that God answers each and every one of them. And that God cares about us and has a deep enough compassion for us and desires for us to know who He is and what He's doing, that He's actually a God who speaks to us. And that He's actually a God who who does things to work all things together for good. Amen? That is our hope. That is what we celebrate. That is what we're going to be examining this morning in the book of Habakkuk. So, let me do a little recap and revision for those of you who haven't been here through the Habakkuk series. But Habakkuk is a prophet, and he's speaking to God. And the whole book of the Habakkuk is all about a conversation between him and God. And what's the, the posture of the conversation? How does Habakkuk start the book? He starts by saying what? God, what are you doing? I'm frustrated. This world doesn't make sense. The sin is reigning. Evil is reigning. There's violence. There's injustice. The world looks like you're not in charge, God. The world looks like you aren't doing anything, God. And so it's this conversation of complaint between God and Habakkuk where Habakkuk is just crying out over and over again, God, are you going to do something? And what is God's answer to Habakkuk? How is he going to make things better? He's going to send the Babylonians. Interesting. Now, we ended that study without knowing what happened next. Uh, Did Israel and Judah, were they overtaken by the Babylonians? They were. They were overtaken by the Babylonians. And Habakkuk began to process and ask God, he said, why would you use a nation that is more evil than us? To, put, to show us what judgment is and how would you deal with our injustice and violence and sin and evil by using a, a nation that's more unjust, violent, and evil. And he doesn't understand. And many of us are at places in our life where we are going through crazy, hard, difficult times and we are crying out to God and say, God, we don't understand. We don't know why this is happening. And we question God and we seek Him. And yet the end of Habakkuk, after this intense conversation between Habakkuk and God, what is the main thing that Habakkuk realizes that he needs to do in life? The righteous live by what? The righteous live by 
Faith. The righteous live by faith. That was the main theme of Habakkuk, is even when we can't fully understand what's going on, even though we can't comprehend exactly what God is doing in our lives, we can live with a faith, with a trust, with an assurance that God is working all things together for His good. And so even for the example of of Habakkuk, and we look at in history, did the Babylonians end up taking over uh, Israel and Judah? Did the Babylonians end up in coming and taking charge? They did, right? We see this in history. And, and what do you think the, the people of God, what do you, what do you think their, their posture was when all this was taking place? Uh, they must have thought, this is the end of our story. This is the end of our nation. This is the end of our cultural identity. This is the end of everything. How could God use this? This is our destruction. And do you know what's beautiful? When we read throughout history, we read about what's called a remnant of God. A remnant of God who were faithful to God. And what's interesting is this is a period in time after the Babylonian captivity and after everything was destroyed. Um, This is a time where the people of God did some profound things. This is a time in history where they actually built the synagogue. Uh, This is a time in history where the people actually dealt with the sin in their life. Because again, what was the major uh, purpose of the Babylonians taking them over? To show them what life was like without God. They wanted to experience life without God, and the Babylonians were the best example of history of how to live life without God. And you know what? What did it produce in the people? They began to confess. They began to repent. They began to realize, oh, this is what life without God looks like, and we want none of it. And so God actually used this opportunity to to bring confession and repentance and renewal and life transformation in the people. And God used this beautiful example of something that looks disastrous and destructive and brings beauty and renewal and rejuvenation out of it. This is the story of what God did through Habakkuk. Now, What's interesting is the, the author of Hebrews 10, uh, Paul quotes Habakkuk too, we talked about that quite a bit, but the writer of Hebrews also quotes this passage of Habakkuk, that the righteous shall live by faith. And in Hebrews 10, it, it compares this, this imagery of that just as we trust God for our salvation and saving us from our sin, we should also trust Him in every difficult circumstance or life trial that we go through. Now, this gives us perspective because who here has any ability to save themselves, right? Uh, There's probably a reason you're here today. You probably realize that you have no ability to save yourself. This is why we're talking about God together, right? What's our only hope for salvation? Jesus Christ Himself, right? That's our only hope. That's the only thing that we can hold on to. Now, the writer of Hebrews 10 says, just as you trust God for your salvation, you need to trust God for all the circumstances you go through in life as well. Because life is out of control, right? 
Life is chaotic. Life is uncertain. Life, we don't know what's going to happen next. The only way that we can go through life is with a full confidence and assurance that God is working together all things for good. So just in the way we trust God for salvation, we trust God with every aspect of our lives, no matter what we're going through. And so this is the the posture then, this is the aspect that Habakkuk brings us to, is this full trust of God, realizing that even painful experiences that we go through in life can be used for God's sovereign purpose to bring about good. That's what Habakkuk comes to a conclusion to. That's what he realizes that God is doing. And so Habakkuk, like us, we, we long for the world to get better. Who's longing for that right now, right? We long for a sense of, I don't know how we define as normal. I don't even know what normal is anymore, right? But we long for something to get better. We long for things to be made right. And Habakkuk was longing for that, and he was crying out to God for that, but Habakkuk quickly realized that he didn't understand how God was going to do it. But he placed his trust and who God is, and what God has done. And from our posture here today, what I want to address this morning is that what we can do as the people of God, as the church, in this season, in any season of life, is that we can have a trust that God has worked throughout history, and He continues to work even today. And the event I want to point us back to is the resurrection. But before we do that, I want to ask you a question. Uh, Let's process this together. Um, Where is history moving? We're at a very interesting point in world history, and we have to ask the question, where is history moving? What is the future for us? Um, who, Who believes that the world is progressing and things are going to get better and better and things are, have an aspect of progress. No one believes in progress. So we're all cynical people. Guess what? Everyone this morning was cynical too. <laughs> we're just a naturally cynical group, I guess. Okay, that's okay. Okay, if, then on the other hand, let me ask you this question. Who believes that the world is going to get worse and worse and worse and then one day God's just going to take us out and we'll escape it? Anyone there either? A couple of you. Now, the majority of us didn't put it, no one in the 9 a.m. put up their hand for either of them. And you guys are all sort of, I don't know if you're confused or you just didn't put up your hand, but actually you guys did very good. Uh, this, was, this was something for us to process together because when we look at Scripture, the answer is actually neither. It's neither. God has a whole other different plan of where history is moving. God has a whole other insight of where future is going. And guess what? The early church affirmed this to the greatest extent. Uh, N.T. Wright, who's a, a, a very respected, probably if not the top New Testament theologian and historian, he gives us perspective here onto where history is going, and this helps frame our mind. He says, the early Christians did not believe in progress. 
They did not think the world was getting better and better under its own steam or even under the steady influence of God. They knew God had to do something to make it right. But nor did they believe that the world was getting worse and worse and their task was to escape it altogether. They were not dualists. And a dualist is someone who believes that the spiritual is good and the physical is bad. And so the world is bad, we, we destroy the world, and physical or spiritual lives on. This is the insight. He says, since most people who think about these things today tend towards one or another of those two points of view, it comes as something of a surprise to discover that the early Christians held quite a different view. This is the key point. They believed that God was going to do for the whole cosmos what he had done for Jesus at Easter. Amen? What did we celebrate at Easter? Jesus is resurrected. Jesus is alive. That is what we celebrate. And the story of the, the resurrection is that Jesus, who faced all the sin and injustice and greed and hardship and pain and suffering, Jesus experienced all that. Everything Habakkuk complained about, Jesus experienced, didn't he? Everything that Habakkuk cried out to God about what he didn't want to experience and what people shouldn't experience, Jesus experienced that, didn't he? He experienced it all. He experienced all the pain and suffering that we could ever fathom. And yet, three days later, we see Jesus resurrected to victory. Amen? And the early Christians believe, and the, the Scripture narrative tells this story, that even though we, like Jesus, experience injustice, experience pain, experience hardship, experience turmoil in life, even though we experience all these things that humanity was never created to experience, all these evils that we have to go through, he said, we have the same hope as Jesus. In other words, even though we walk through this evil, chaotic world, we have the hope of what? We have the hope of resurrection, of new life, of God redeeming and reconciling all of creation. That is God's answer to Habakkuk, and that is God's answer to us. That no matter how dire this world seems, no matter how difficult circumstances bring us through, we have that hope. And so for the time remaining, I just want to reflect on what are some of the ways that Habakkuk God, or God answers Habakkuk. Well, first of all, we realize that the resurrection means that God says, I am not indifferent to the suffering of this world. What was Habakkuk's complaint? He says, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? God, do you not care about anything that's going on? God, you are so indifferent right now. God, don't you care about me? God, why aren't you acting in my life? But the resurrection tells us, and the beauty of the, the cross, burial, and resurrection of Jesus tells us that God is anything but indifferent, amen? That God was actually willing to enter into the suffering of this world so that he could redeem it. 
God was willing to enter in into everything that God should never experience, and yet He did it out of love to seek and save us so that we would find salvation and renewal in this world. See, what's fascinating to me is when, I'm sure when people were observing the cross, and even the disciples, when Jesus goes to the cross, what do all the disciples do? Where do they go? They abandon Him. They leave Him. Now, what is part of the reason for that? Is because all the disciples were looking at Jesus going to the cross, and they said, I don't see how God could bring anything good out of this. I don't see how God could accomplish anything out of this. God, you're either asleep or you're not paying attention or or something's wrong in your plan, but God, this doesn't make sense. God, this cannot work out for good. And so they leave. This can't be God's plan. This can't be what God is doing. And yet the cross brings us this beautiful assurance that God actually accomplishes His greatest goal in human history to bring salvation and freedom and rescue to us as people who so desperately need it. The story of Jesus tells us that God is anything but indifferent. And the resurrection means that in a world where injustice and violence and chaos and evil are prevalent, it means that God does not tolerate any of it. Amen? That's our only hope. God doesn't tolerate any of it. God is not different to any of it. In fact, God is working and has been working to bring redemption and restoration. It's a beautiful answer that God gives us for people that do not even deserve an answer. And so what does this mean then? How do we process even deeper in terms of the resurrection? Well, if God is not indifferent to the suffering of this world, well, well, how does that change us? Well, it reminds us that God tells us we have a living hope in the resurrection. A living hope. Now, now notice that it's not just a future hope, which it is. We, we know that God will renew and reconcile all of creation. We know that God is working all things together for good and glory. But we also have a living hope, which means it's alive here and now. Just as Jesus is alive, this hope is alive here in us. And so let's process this passage from 1 Peter that that gives us insight to God's answer to Habakkuk. And Peter says this, it says, According to God's great mercy, He has caused us to be born again into what? Into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, the resurrection gives us this living hope. And it says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith 
for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And so what is what does the resurrection produce? It produces an inheritance. Isn't that interesting? It produces an inheritance. In other words, this inheritance means that something that is ours, something that we can inherit it because of what God has done through the resurrection of Jesus. Now, what is this inheritance? This inheritance is the kingdom of God, amen? The fruition of the kingdom of God where God makes all things new, that is the inheritance that God has kept for us. This is what is ours in Christ. This is one of the many blessings that we could celebrate at every moment of every day. Now, here's the beautiful thing. How does it describe this inheritance? Imperishable? What does imperishable mean? No end. It doesn't go bad. It's not like milk you leave on your counter that you don't want to drink a few months later, right? It's not going bad. It's going to be good forever. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. I mean, it's pure. It's holy. It's perfect. It's unfading, which means that it's, it's not going to get good for a little bit and slowly fade away, Right? So many things and experiences we have in life are these amazing things that we get to experience and then it sort of fades away and perhaps we lose interest or it's not as exciting anymore. The kingdom of God is not like that. It's unfading. It never gets worse. It only gets better, right? Now here's the thing. Where is this kept? It is kept in heaven. It's kept in the presence of God. It's kept by God. God is the one who is guarding it. God is the one who has power in it. It means that it is in God's keeping. That's where it is. So what does that mean? Do we have any power as humanity to change this? No matter what injustice or violence or evil we see in this world, we have no power to change this as humanity. Not only that, but the spiritual realm, the demonic realm, the evil realm of Satan, does that have any power to destroy this? No. The resurrection has already been a claim of victory over it. In other words, nothing can change this reality in life. Nothing can change the fact that Jesus is risen from the dead, that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is ruling and reigning, that Jesus loves us, that Jesus desires to be with us for eternity, that Jesus is preparing a place for us, that the kingdom of God is advancing, and one day we'll experience the new creation for all of eternity. Nothing can change that, amen? Nothing. So here's the beauty. Here's what's interesting. The inheritance is not going to change. But what is going to change? Peter is going to say what changes is us. See, what's interesting in the life of Habakkuk and even the short conversation we hear between him and God is that what we ultimately see from from chapter 1 to the end is that the very book of Habakkuk begins with complaint, with questioning God, with challenging God, with defying God. And yet by the end of the book, 
what do we see Habakkuk doing? Do we remember? What is he doing? He's praising God. And he's saying, God, I will trust you no matter what comes. And he says, even if there's no food in the land, even if everything is destroyed, even if the Babylonians destroy everything, I will trust you. I will have faith in you. And what we see is, is God's plans and purposes are, are never changed in that book. Even with Habakkuk complaining against God, his plans are never changed. But what does get changed is Habakkuk. And it's the same with us. We are deeply transformed when we submit to the beauty of God's will and plan. And this is how Peter says it. He says, verse 6, the end there, he says, In this you do what? You rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. In other words, even when you walk through the hardship of life, even when you experience all the things that cause you to cry out against God, even though you walk through the hard things that you have to walk through, the, the beauty of the resurrection is that it transforms you, it changes you with this living hope to the point whatever comes, you have Reasons for joy. Isn't that a beautiful perspective? No matter what comes, you have reason for joy. Now, what does this joy look like? This is a perspective. Does this mean being happy all the time? <laughs> if you're not happy, does that mean you're not doing what God wants you to be doing? No, this is, this is a joy that's beyond happiness. There are circumstances in life that bring happiness, but, but joy is a posture that we receive from God. Joy is a gift that we get from God. Because happiness is usually based on circumstances, isn't it? When things are going well, we're happy. When things are going bad, we're sad. Joy is something that endures every season of life. Joy is something that sustains you through anything. And, and here's the, the beautiful reality is that when Jesus went to the cross, and again, the cross is a picture of how, how could God do something good out of this? Exactly the question Habakkuk was asking. But when Jesus goes to the cross, he goes through intense despair, doesn't he? He goes through even an intense time of, of questioning the will of the Father, doesn't he? He, he? he prays to the Father. He says, God, is this your will? Can you remove this cup from me? Father, is, is this really what we're going to do? And he, and he postures in this relationship with the Trinity. There's this conversation going on. And, and, and Jesus says, you know what? It's not my will but we need to do the will of the Father. We need to do the mission that I have come to do, even as difficult, even as strenuous, even as much suffering and injustice I have to experience, I need to fulfill this mission. And he goes to the cross. And on the cross, he's so overwhelmed by despair and grief, Jesus can't even muster words. He's not happy there. 
He's in despair. He's quoting scriptures from the Hebrew about his despair. What's fascinating is that the writer of Hebrews, it describes the crucifixion like this. It says that for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. Isn't that interesting? How can there be joy in the midst of injustice, in the midst of betrayal, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of torture? How can there be joy that was set before Jesus in those moments? And yet it was a joy that set before him that Christ endured the cross. Because what did Christ realize? What, what did he know he was accomplishing on the cross? What did Christ accomplish on the cross for us, church? Salvation. We have a lot more words than that. Let's just spout them off. Hope. Joy. Victory. Freedom. Rescue. Renewal. All these things. Big one, relationship. God restored relationship with him on the cross. And and so we we have this, this posture where we realize that just as Christ had a joy that was set before him, and even in his midst of, of suffering, was able to endure it because of the hope and the joy of what was being accomplished. And it's the same way, I believe, with us in this life. That even when we go through this suffering and justice and hardship, and sure, we can laugh, sometimes it's trivial, and sometimes it's, it's meaningless and the point of everything. But a lot of what we go through is true hardship. A lot of what we go through is deep pain. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, is are we going to allow those circumstances to change us into people that are bitter, into people that are arrogant, and people that are grieved, and people that are revengeful? people that are resentful, are we going to allow that to change us and transform us? Or are we going to allow the living hope of the resurrection to change us into people who live with such a deep sense of living hope that the joy set before us transforms us completely? That is the kind of people that God is calling us to be and desiring us to be. We, we choose hope we choose joy. And so let me, let me close with, with this thought. I, I want to bring up this. How do we know that God is with us? How do we know that God is working when we see injustice, when we see suffering, when we go through pain. Let me say this. If Jesus Christ didn't abandon you in his suffering and injustice, the greatest darkness the world has ever known, 
Why would he abandon you now and what you are facing? God is not indifferent. God is with you. Amen? Let's pray to that extent. Gracious Father, we come before you. And we come with a deep acknowledgement that we desperately need you. Lord, we look at the the many circumstances that we are facing. And I know even in this room, there's many heavy burdens that are being carried. There's many who are suffering silently. There's many who are suffering open. And Lord, we come before you to acknowledge that we are hopeless without you. Lord, it's so beautiful to realize how you allowed Habakkuk to talk to you. In a brutal honesty, in a vulnerability, in a questioning. Lord, we too have that same right. Even though we do not deserve to speak to you in that way at all. How do we as finite beings speak to you as the infinite God and even question and challenge you? And yet you, so, you are so full of mercy. You are so full of grace. You are so patient with us that, God, you answer us. Just as you answered Habakkuk, you answer us now. And even as we don't understand how you can bring um, good from what's going on and some of the hard things we experience in life, we look to the cross and we say if Jesus could experience the greatest injustice and suffering and hardship and pain that the world has ever known and yet you bring victory out of it, you bring resurrection out of it, How could we not trust you in our own lives? And so I pray that you would be with us today. Lord, give us a a deep renewal of trust in our lives. Give us a deep aspect of faith. Lord, I pray that those who in this room haven't committed their lives to you, who haven't expressed that faith and trust, Lord, I pray that today would be that day realizing that there is no hope apart from you, that there is no life apart from you, and that you are the God who is able to make all things new. And Lord, we trust you in light of that. And so, gracious Father, may we, as your people, be honest and vulnerable with you just as Habakkuk, but let also allow us to be changed and transformed by the living hope that comes through the resurrection, your greatest answer to all the injustice and violence and evil that we see in this world. Lord, you have showed us that you are not indifferent, but you are working together all things for your good and glory. And Lord, it just ignites in us a deeper longing for the fruition of your kingdom where we can experience 
hope that is not yet seen in the kingdom of God, where every tear is wiped away, where death is no more, where we live in perfect unity and oneness, where disease has no authority, and where we get to experience the joy of your presence. Lord, give us a longing for that day. Lord, so much of this world brings us to that longing. Let us live in light of it, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.